Hey, before we get into our study tonight, a couple things. Um, just a reminder, I know I've been announcing this in church on Sundays, but just a reminder that this coming Sunday at the Oasis, for anyone that brings a guest to church with them, you will get, they will get a net Bible, just like I teach out of, um, really nice net Bible. Uh, and we also are going to have plenty available that if you want to take one with you and hand it off to somebody, you know of somebody that you would like to give uh, a Bible to as a gift from our church, they will be available as well. When you come into the lobby on Sunday, Lisa will be manning basically a Bible table there uh, on, on Sunday. And then secondly, I wanted everyone to be in prayer about this. And I'll be letting, I'll be communicating. One of the things that I try to strive to do is as the pastor, be a, a great communicator and keep everybody in the loop about what God is doing with me. So I, I'm going to preface what I'm about to ask you to pray about by saying this, that I will be communicating to the entire church what God is stirring within me as quickly as possible. But first, uh, there is a very important meeting. I am meeting Sunday night with our elders, our staff, and all of our ministry leaders. And uh, I'm going to be sharing with them some things that God is stirring within my heart. And then I'm going to find out, you know, uh, from them uh, some things and then proceed from there. Uh, so I will let you know uh, as soon as I can about some things that I'm very excited about. Uh, but we'll, we'll just let you know as quickly as possible. But if you could be in prayer for that meeting on Sunday night, uh, I would greatly appreciate it. Just a lot of cool things coming, uh, coming up. Acts chapter 14 details the conclusion of Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. And there's so much that you and I as Christians can learn. We might not ever be missionaries, if you will, on a foreign field. We, we, but God calls all of us as his people to be ambassadors for Christ. And God calls all of us to live at, at a level of commitment and consecration and dedication that we find Christians doing in the book of Acts. So there is much that we can glean uh, from the book of Acts and apply to our own personal walk with God even today. And one of the things that I find significant here that I want to emphasize uh, right off the bat is in Acts 14, once again, we see an emphasis on the Word of God, on sharing the Word of God, on teaching the Word of God, and and the reason why I want to start there is because, like, I want to commend all of you, first of all, because you're putting yourselves in a place where you can grow in God's Word. And before we can share God's Word and teach God's Word and, and use God's Word in other people's lives, we've got to take it in. And, and not just in a corporate way, but obviously we've got to be individually in the Word of God, reading it, meditating it, studying it, memorizing it ourselves. But I want you to know how, how at the forefront the Word of God was 
in Paul and Barnabas's ministry. First of all, look at verse three, where it talks about him speaking out courageously for the Lord. And they testified to the message of his grace. Then if you get down to verse seven, notice the word or the phrase proclaim the good news. Then if you go up to verse 15, we are proclaiming the good news. Verse 21, after they had proclaimed the good news. And finally in verse 25, spoken the word. All through their ministry, what were they doing? They were sharing the word of God everywhere they went with everyone that would listen to them. They were getting the word of God out. And one of the things that God has been stirring in me is to take what we are doing here and and to get out the word of God as many different ways and as many different places as we possibly can. We may be a relatively small church, but just like you've heard me share with you before, there are people from all over the world that listen to these podcasts from this little church in Chandler, Arizona on a weekly basis. And there's other ways that you and I can get the word of God out to people because I have the absolute conviction that the word of God changes people's lives. And we just need to get the word of God out. And I am as convinced as ever that when God called me to start this church, that he wanted this to truly be an oasis, a place where his word would flood into the desert, if you will, of this area and saturate the East Valley with the word of God. And so you see the word of God very prominent in Paul and Barnabas's ministry. But you also notice something else. And now I'll begin at the beginning of chapter 14. The same thing happened in Iconium when Paul and Barnabas went into the Jewish synagogues and spoke in such a way that a large group of both Jews and Greeks believed. Notice not only was their message, if you will, the word of God, but notice something else important here that God is teaching us. Notice in verse 1, The Bible says that they spoke in such a way. In other words, it wasn't just what they were sharing. It was the way they were sharing it. As God teaches us, we have to be very wise about sharing the word of God, not just with unbelievers, but with Christians too. If we're going to uh, use the word of God and, and try to encourage people with it, and share it with others, it's not just what we say, it's how we say it. That's why we're uh, encouraged in the Bible to speak the truth, but to do it in what? In love, you see. And so it's not just what we are saying, it's the way we are saying it. And they spoke in such a way that they were, not everyone was attracted to the message, obviously, but They spoke in such a way that they were drawing people, not to themselves, but to God and to his word, you see. And and part of that is not just speaking it in love, but part of it is even speaking it with passion and conviction and authority. We remember that this was a separating point of, of why Jesus' teaching ministry stood out. Because they said, wow, he speaks as one who has authority. It's like he really is convinced that what he's saying is truth. And there's so many people who 
claimed to be spokespeople for God down through history, and even people down through history who spoke from the Bible. But they spoke with no passion, no conviction, no authority. And therefore, they were not speaking in such a way that was probably going to stir other people to come and, and, and be attracted to the message. Because they would sit back and go, I'm not sure they believe what they're saying, if you see what I'm saying. So this is an important point. They were going everywhere, proclaiming the word, speaking the word, and therefore they needed to make sure that before they could share it with others, that they were spending time in the word themselves. You and I can't give out what we're not taking in. And so first, before we can share the word of God, we've got to be taking in the word of God. Secondly, as we share the word of God with others, we've got to do it in a way, you see. And we've got to just ask God for that wisdom and to know even maybe the timing of when we share things with others. And how do we share things with others? Which is why it's so important that we follow the lead of the Holy Spirit in our lives and let him lead us. So then you notice verse 2. Again, there's not always going to be 100% buy-in. We know that as God's word goes forth, there's going to be resistance and opposition. And we've seen that throughout the book of Acts. God just tells his people to be faithful in spite of the opposition and obstacles and resistance. So in verse 2 we read, But the Jews who refused to believe, literally they, they would not be persuaded no matter what, they stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. By the way, this word poisoned is an interesting word. It literally means to be embittered. And it's that concept that people can be bitter for a lot of different reasons. But when they allow bitterness to settle into their lives, then not only, obviously, are they twisted, but then they begin to embitter others. Bitter people, if you're around them long enough tend to make us bitter as well, which is why we have to be careful of the amount of influence, especially a bitter person has in our lives, because bitter people can truly poison the minds of other people, and that's what they were doing here. So, notice though verse 3, in spite of the persecution, Paul and Barnabas thought it was imperative that they stay for a considerable time, speaking out courageously for the Lord and uh, who testified to the message of grace, granting miraculous signs and wonders to be performed through their hands. I want to go back to this phrase, they stayed there a considerable time. And the reason I want to do that is because, again, when we read and study the Bible, if something is said once, obviously it's important. If it's repeated somewhere, then that, to me, makes it even more a point of emphasis. And notice in the very last verse of this chapter, something very interesting, verse 28, pretty much the same phrase in the Greek language is repeated in verse 28. So they spent considerable time with the disciples. Now here's an important point. And this is what we see in a a balanced ministry like Paul and Barnabas. Not only were they interested in sharing the gospel with those who did not know Christ, and, and sharing that good news with them and, and trying to bring people into the kingdom. But they spent just as much time 
strengthening, if you will, those who were already saved. They, they, they wanted to ground them in the truth. They wanted to get them rooted and they wanted to bring their roots down deep. And, and the way that that is done is by spending considerable time. It takes time to grow strong and mature. It takes time to put those roots down deep and, and be grounded, if you will. Uh, you know, it takes a long time for one of these great trees to, you know, grow and, and to have that root system sunk down deep. But, but once that happens, you know, the wind and all the storms and everything, you know, that, that tree stands unless it's extreme. And that's the way God wants us to be. And so notice Paul and Barnabas thought, we've got to make sure that those who do come to Christ are grounded and rooted in the Word of God. In fact, very interestingly, this phrase, spending or staying a considerable time, literally in the Greek language means to create a well-worn path. Now think about that. We could spend all night just talking about that. To create a well-worn path. What are they teaching then from that? That as disciples of Christ, God wants us to form spiritual disciplines and habits. God wants us to create well-worn paths in our lives that are cut so deep that that's where we go. That's, that's the place we go. And that, own, that, that takes time to cut that kind of well-worn path, you see. Because if we don't cut that deep enough, then we always live at whatever makes the biggest impression in our lives. And that's why people, you know, if you don't take time to make the deepest cut of your life, your personal relationship with Christ then just like that needle on those old LP records, it's going to find the deepest groove. Whatever that deepest groove is, whatever that greatest impression in your life and my life is, that's where the stylus of our life will find and run across the radius of our life. That's exactly what Paul and Barnabas did by spending considerable time. They were creating a well-worn path. They were helping these young disciples to create disciplines and godly habits in their life that long after they were gone, they knew they were going to stick. They knew that it's like, okay, now we're going to have to leave because God's calling us somewhere else. Are these people going to be in the Word every day? Are they going to pray every day? Are they going to be in fellowship with their brothers and sisters in Christ every day? It was going to take considerable time to develop those habits. But once those habits were developed, those disciplines were locked into, then they were going to be there. There wasn't going to be any like, well, should I? Or no, there, there comes a point in our life as a Christian where these things are cut so deep that we do these things regardless. Everything else is up in the air maybe for the day. But these things are locked in. We do these things, first of all. And that's why they had to do that. We're going to share with you from this chapter why it's so important that we create those well-worn paths in our life. All right. 
Let's move on. The other thing I want to talk about here in verse 3 was notice they testified or spoke about the message of His grace. Again, this was important. It was a grace message. It wasn't legalism. It wasn't a set of rules and regulations. It wasn't, here, do this, don't do that type of thing that has, you know, obviously been found throughout history uh, in the name of God and religion. No, it is grace. Because grace is what transforms people's lives. It is by grace that we're saved. It's by grace that we live. Grace is there. It is that favor from God that we don't deserve, but becomes the highest influence of our life. It is that supernatural enablement and empowerment. And that was the message that they were giving to these people. It is God's grace. Then notice verse 4. But the population of the city was divided or split. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when both the Gentiles and the Jews together with their rulers made an attempt to mistreat them and stone them, Paul and Barnabas learned about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding region. And there they continued to proclaim the good news. Just like last week. Okay, you refuse. You're not receptive anymore. We'll go somewhere where they are. They weren't just going to sit there and be stoned. They weren't just going to sit there and beat their heads against the wall. They were going to follow where the message was going to be received. And God wants us to live that way too. God doesn't want to spend the precious little time that we have on earth trying to convince somebody who doesn't want to be persuaded about Christ or even another Christian whose heart just is at a point where they're not willing to listen to the truth. God wants us to spend our precious time speaking to those and talking to those who are receptive. Now, doesn't mean we don't pray for those people. Always. Pray for them always. But don't try to cram something down someone's throat if they're not ready to hear. Then notice verse 8. In Lystra sat a man who could not use his feet, lame from birth, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul. We never know who's listening to us, by the way. This man was listening to Paul as he was speaking. And when Paul stared intently at him and saw he had faith to be healed, he said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And the man leaped up and began walking. How did Paul see that he had the faith to be healed? The only explanation I have for that is God gave him that discernment, that perception, that ability to be able to, again, look into that man and see that he had faith to be healed. Now, I want to say this. God doesn't always heal where there's faith. It's up to God. There were times in the Bible where Jesus healed people and they had no faith. It was just up to him. Who healed? But there are times where God heals in response to people's faith. But I want to make this point, and I think this is so important. I want you to, I usually don't ask you to turn a lot of places because we've got a lot to cover. But I want you to keep your finger in Acts 14 and go back to the Gospel of Matthew real quick. Because I, I, I think that this gets taught falsely, if you will, in so many areas that, that I want to share with you what I, I think is the truth of this. And that is this. When the Bible says that this person had the faith to be healed, it doesn't mean that he believed God would heal him. It meant that he believed God could heal him. Now that's a difference. And see, many today, they will teach people that if you don't believe God will heal you, then you won't be healed. 
That's not the faith God calls, because that's a presumption on our part. Because we know from the Bible, God didn't heal everybody. God didn't even heal everybody who had faith. There are certain reasons why God heals them. We know Paul had great faith, but yet God's will for Paul was that thorn in the flesh is something I want to keep with you, so I'm not going to take that thorn away. Yet we know Paul had faith that God, you know, could do it, but that's the important thing. The faith that God looks for is not that we, he will do something, but that he is able. He could do it. And let me illustrate that back in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm just going to start reading here in Matthew's Gospel. Sorry, I turned to the wrong page. At verse 27. I'll start reading there. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, shouting, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he went into the house, the blind men came to him. Jesus said to them, don't miss this. Do you believe that I am able to do this? He doesn't ask the men, do you believe I will do this? He says, do you believe I am able? Can I do this? That was the only faith that he was looking for. And may I say, I believe that's the same faith that Paul saw in the lame man at Lystra. It wasn't that he absolutely knew God would, but he knew God could. And notice then what happens. They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, let it be done for you according to your faith. Not faith that God would, but faith that God could. And I think that's the faith that we see demonstrated here whenever Paul saw the faith to be healed. And obviously we know that because this man had never walked. So back to Acts 14, when Paul healed him and said, hey, stand up, the man stood up immediately. Now, I want to say this about Paul. What this also teaches us is this. As you and I live and minister for the Lord and serve the Lord, God is looking for us to have faith that he's able. Will he always do? No. But can he do it? Absolutely. At any time, anywhere, any place, God can do anything. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is too hard for him. So he can do it. He has the ability, the capability to do it. Doesn't always mean he chooses to do it. Because he has his own purposes and reasons. But do we believe he can do it? You see. And that's what we see, I think, fleshed out here in Acts 14. So when the crowds, verse 11, saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language. And I think that's why it took Paul and Barnabas a little while to catch up on what was going on, because they didn't understand the language. And here's what they were saying. The gods have come down to us in human form. And how ironic. Basically, they were saying, God has been made like a man. Well, that is sort of the essence of the gospel message. That God was made like a man. The thing is, that was Jesus. That wasn't Paul and Barnabas. But the fact that they were even thinking that that somehow that could happen, it's like, yeah, that, that really did happen. Jesus, the Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. So verse 12, they began to call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. 
The priests of the temple of Zeus, located just outside the city, brought bulls and garlands to the city gates. He and the crowds wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostle Barnabas, or when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard about it, they tore their clothes. Literally, they rent their clothes. It's an expression of horror. It's an expression of deep grief. It's an expression of extreme indignation about what is going on here. They don't want the worship. They want God to be worshipped. And so Paul rushes out and says, Men, why are you doing these things? We too are men with human natures just like you. We are proclaiming the good news to you so that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything is in them. And you'll notice here that Paul has a completely different message fashioned for people who had no spiritual foundation, if you will, other than idolatry compared to the way Paul would have dealt with his fellow Jews in a synagogue setting. And that's why, again, we've got to know who our audience is. Here you'll notice that it's a very general statement, if you will, about who God is and his creator and that he takes care of people and all that. But obviously, Paul would have started in on a much different way if he was talking to a religious Jew who had Old Testament background. That's why you and I have to begin to know the people that we're dealing with and know a little bit about where they're coming from to know where we start in even with them as far as a conversation goes. Now, I want to make this point. Satan, if he cannot try to get us off track by persecuting us and putting pressure on us and and making things awful for us to where we might get to a point where we quit, then you know what his other MO is? I'm going to lift them up in pride and I'm going to throw praise at them and see how they handle that. And that's exactly what we see here. You see in this chapter, two different ways Satan operates to try to get God's people off track. I will try to persecute them and make things hard for them so that they quit. Or I'm going to open it up to where people just love them and lift them up and tell them they're gods and that they're just wonderful and all of this because Satan knows that, man, if they start to believe their own press clippings, if they start to believe all these wonderful things and get lifted up in pride, that that's going to get them off track too. And yet we see Paul and Barnabas rejected that, even though obviously to the flesh that would have been great. Oh, we're being worshipped. We're being adored. Finally, people are appreciating us for who we are and how wonderful we are. No, they wanted none of it. They wanted to bring all glory and all praise and all honor to God because it was only by Him that they were able to do the miraculous things anyway. By the way, here, here's something that, that, that I want to share with you tonight. Don't seek miracles in your life. Follow Jesus. Because if you follow Jesus, you'll, you'll see that you're right smack dab in the middle of miracles all the time. That's what you need to do as a Christian. Don't, don't seek to be in, in miracles. Just follow Jesus. If you and I follow Jesus, we will be involved in miraculous things. Because that's what happened to Paul and Barnabas and the people of Acts. They didn't go around making miracles the priority. They made following Jesus the priority. And the miracles simply followed. The miraculous followed. And that's what we see the pattern of here in the book of Acts. So he goes on, he shares with them about God, how good God was. 
He says in verse 17, God never left himself without a witness by doing good, giving you rain from heaven, fruitful seasons. You know, you may be worshiping idols for all this, but I'm telling you, this is the living God who's provided this for you. And the Bible even says in verse 18, even by saying these things, they scarcely or hardly persuaded these crowds to not offer sacrifices to them. These people were messed up, weren't they? Yeah, which is why... Notice this, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and after winning the crowds over, persuading the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, presuming him to be dead. I, I want to make this point. And it, it ties into what I said earlier. Why did Paul and Barnabas want to spend considerable time with disciples and create that well-worn path in their life? Because if a person is not grounded or rooted in God's truth, then they are open to accepting whatever comes by. Like the crowds. The crowds are this picture of humanity down through history and just like today. That it doesn't matter what starts to fly by, it's like, well, that's where the crowd goes. Because... If you and I as believers are not grounded and rooted, then Paul says to the Ephesians, then people will end up being carried about with every wind of doctrine. And that's what happens to people. They're literally carried to every wind that blows by. So that's why it is imperative that we get grounded and that we make sure that other people are getting rooted and grounded in their spiritual life as well, or else they'll be open to anything. You know what? I got time. Keep your finger there in Acts 14. Go over to Ephesians chapter 4 for just a moment and and see this tonight. This is an important uh, passage because in Ephesians 4, this really gives us as a church even the marching orders from God of what what God wants to see uh, be the priority of the church. In Acts, uh, excuse me, in Ephesians 4, uh, I'm going to begin in verse 12. And he's talking here about God giving the church leaders, pastors, teachers, there in verse 11. And then I want to pick it up in verse 12 of Ephesians 4. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That is, to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person, attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. Why? Verse 14. So that we are no longer to be children, tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes, But practicing the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ, who is the head. He's saying Christians that don't get rooted or grounded are as gullible as children. Who are so innocent that they'll just believe anything that anybody tells them. And that's why Paul and Barnabas, along with sharing the gospel with those who needed to hear, 
also spent as much time in the book of Acts creating a well-worn path with disciples of Christ so that people would be grounded and rooted and develop spiritual disciplines and habits in their life. Because without us being grounded in the truth, we will be susceptible to being carried away by false teaching and by every wind of doctrine that comes by. And just because so this person said it, well, a pastor said it, and that pastor's on television, and he has a large church, so shouldn't I believe everything that he tells me? You don't even want to get me going there. All right, Acts 14. Acts 14, let's go back. So then verse 21. After they had proclaimed the good news in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. And again, why did they return to the places they had already been? Because they were trying to root these people and ground them in the truth and get them to be so solid and firm that they would be immovable when the false teaching began to sweep in. So notice what they did. Verse 22. They strengthened the souls of the disciples. Very important. The word strengthened here means to make stable, firm, and constant. That's what it means to be strengthened. God is looking for people to be firm, stable, constant, to know what we believe and why we believe it, so that we are not gullible, carried away by the false teaching and doctrine that is so prevalent out there today. You see. And then he goes on to say, and encourage them to continue in the faith, to hold fast to their spiritual convictions, to persevere, to not let their circumstances and what they are going through begin to shake them and shatter them and again stir them up and agitate them and trouble them as if somehow this isn't true. See, we have to get to a place where our spiritual convictions are so solid and firm that something in our life could be so turned upside down and yet we still trust and believe in what God's Word said in spite of our circumstances. Where Satan comes in is when he sees a believer even going through really tough circumstances, he will try to use that to obviously shake our faith. And if our faith isn't strong, if our faith isn't solid, that's why many believers down through history have walked away from God, walked away from the Bible, walked away from the church. Because certain things came into their life that shook and shattered their faith and their roots weren't deep. Their roots weren't strong and they were shaken. Which is why Paul was teaching them this very important principle. Notice what Paul says in verse 22. We must enter or experience the kingdom of God through many persecutions. And by the way, that word persecutions is sort of an unfortunate English translation. In the Greek, it literally means pressure. 
or pressures. In fact, it was a word used in the Greek culture to speak about grapes being squashed, crushed, and pressed to make wine. And what Paul is simply saying is, look, life is going to have pressures. Sometimes pressure that is coming at us from from all sides, and it's going to be extreme, and we're going to feel squeezed. But Paul says that's how God wants us to experience the kingdom of God. Because he wants to create in us a spiritual inner strength that in spite of whatever outward pressures we have coming against us, we have a greater strength, a greater stability, a greater resource within us that can withstand and hold back the outside pressures of life and the world and the flesh and the devil. And Paul's saying, so you need to be aware of that. We all need to be aware of that. Because let's face it, there are people out there that don't get grounded in the Word and don't understand this principle. So when something terribly bad, unfortunate, painful, suffering happens to them, their faith is, God must not love me. God must have forsaken me. Why is God allowing me to go through these things instead of understanding that the truth of the Bible is we must experience the kingdom of God through many persecutions. Pressures will be part of it. But God never designs the allowing of those pressures to be what crushes us. What God wants to teach us and get us to understand and learn is that the strength He wants to give us through our growth, through these disciplines, through these habits that we build into our lives can provide us a strength that will be able to stand up and withstand whatever the pressures are of life. And that we won't be crushed. And we won't be squashed. And we won't be broken, if you will. But we will be able to stand up to the pressures of life. You and I, let's, let's be honest here. We live in a world of fragile people. And I'm just going to say, it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. People are becoming more and more weak and more and more fragile. It's taking less and less to bother people today. And God is calling His people out. He's saying, I know the times in which you live are challenging. I know there's a lot to deal with. But it's all the more reason and motivation and inspiration that should drive us to God, who is the only answer to this. That as we fellowship with God and commune with God and stay close to God and connected with God, we will be strong enough through Christ to withstand whatever happens around us or in the world. But people today, because the world and the pressures of life have become too great, they turn to any and all things to try to deal and cope with the pain and pressure of life. And God is saying to people, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and burdened and under those weights, and come to me, I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Let's finish this out. Verse 23. When they had appointed elders or spiritual leaders for them in the various churches with prayer and fasting, they entrusted them to the protection of the Lord in whom they had believed. That's a great line too. Because they're not always going to be able to be there. It's like any parent. You're just trusting your kids to the protection of the Lord because you can't watch over them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that's the way we as saints are with one another. We just have to trust each other into the protection of the Lord. He's the only one that can watch over everyone at all times. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From there they sailed back to Antioch and where they had been committed or commended, excuse me, to the grace of God for the work that they now completed. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported all the things God had done with them and that he had opened a door of faith for the Gentiles. So they spent considerable time with the disciples. One other thing in closing, verse 26, that last word is very important. It's the word completed or finished. A very important principle. God wants us to be good finishers. He wants us to be able to complete the things that He's asked us to do and that we complete what we start. Many of us are good at starting things but not finishing well. God wants us to learn to be good finishers. He wants us to learn to be good completers. He wants us to learn to be able to close the loop on something and in a sense tie that bow and go, okay, that's been accomplished. That was finished. That was completed. And that's what was happening here at the end of this first missionary journey. So much from the book of Acts that we can apply and and relate to in our own walk with God. I hope you'll hang in there with me because we're only halfway through. we got 14 more chapters to go. Let's close in prayer. God, I pray tonight that we would make it a priority Lord, to just spend time with you. To create that well-worn path in our life to you over and over and over again. So that you can build us up and give us a strength that is greater than any pressure that will ever come upon us from outside ourselves. God, You never say to us that we're coming to you too much or too often. In fact, what we see in your word is more of a a declaration that you wished your children would come to you more. Spend more time with you rather than less. God, thank you for being that way for wanting to be with us, God, and spend time with us more than we even want to spend time with you. But I pray tonight that all of us can be encouraged, motivated, inspired to keep digging those roots down deep, to keep 
grounding ourselves in You and in Your truth so that whatever winds come our way, whether they be storms in life or whether they be false teaching or whatever they be, God, that we have been so rooted and grounded in You that we will remain firm, solid, stable, and immovable in the days in which we live. God, make us strong for Your glory and honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here tonight, folks. We'll see you on Sunday or next Tuesday.